and welcome to Champagne and Murder, please. I am your host, Brittany, and it's me again. It's Vanessa. <laughs> we have trapped her in the basement, so she can't leave. Guys, somebody help. <laughs> I'm in a cage. Don't listen to her. She's fine. She gets three meals a day. Oh, I don't. And I gave her champagne. Champagne and dog food doesn't cut it. <laughs> It works for other people. I don't know what your problem is, snooty bitch. <laughs> I'm picky. Tonight we are drinking a Yes Way Rosé that I found at Walmart today <laughs> for like 13 bucks. And it's actually pretty good. It's not too bad. Yeah. Not too bad. Cheers. I would, I'd rather have it in, with some orange juice, but that's just because I'm a sweet person. It's a little bit dry. So but it's good. It's good for a celebration. Yeah, it's not too bad. And then also, we're drinking the, what does it say? Party with the peach. It's the Peach Fizz Truly Hard Seltzer. It's in the new Celebration Pack. I saw it at the store and I was like, oh, I have to get that. Because it also has a rosé in it. So, today's theme is rosé, I guess. Ooh, that was loud. That is loud. I apologize. It's fine. <laughs> Set everything down carefully. Yes, quietly. As we shift everything on the table and it just sounds like boom, rolling garbage. So how you been? How was how was your week? Man, what happened this week? Halloween. <laughs> yeah, Halloween and didn't Nibbles get her shot? She did. I think she's doing a little better. She's able to get up on the couch by herself couple times i have to help her still here now and then she she already knows yeah she's just facing the couch and she just waits for me to get up she's like mom give her a little boost what if she can really get on the couch she, and she's just doing it just because she knows that she gets your attention she's like might as well because <laughs> i know usually after she lets me up she pets me <laughs> i get all the pets and then she gives me kisses see Probably. she's got it down she's like if i just limp a little mom will feel real bad <laughs> she'll baby me I'm the baby. And not you guys. <laughs> and then there's Midge in the back. Going, yeah. Like, the whiny wiener. The whiny wiener. He's awful. He's really good at whining. Oh, yeah. Yes, he is. <laughs> He's the best. <laughs> he takes Well, the... I hope everybody listening had a great week. If it wasn't great, just try again this week. Yeah. I mean, get what else are you going to do? Give it a shot. It could get better. Could. If you did have a great week, I'm happy for you. Cheers to that. Yes. Very much cheers to that. Cold Halloween out here. Oh, I my had God. like six groups of people, of kids stop by. That's about it. That was it. We did a whole block. Oh, And yeah. Thea didn't even finish the whole block. She did like a block and a half. Like the one side of the block all the way and then half of the other side. And, she's and like, then she was like, I'm scared. Um, I'm done now. I was like, all right. What can I say for us to stop trick-or-treating? I'm scared. Yeah. Like, she knows how to get me. Like, like, it was getting dark, and it was very windy and cold, and it was snowing. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Was it snowing? It was snowing while we were out. Yeah. Yep. I don't remember it it snowing beforehand, but... Yeah. Yeah, and the two little boys that we were with, um, E and T, uh, they... They were just like, yeah, whatever. We don't care. It's snowing. Like, let's go get candy. And they're just taking off and running. And Thea's like, you guys 
are really fast. <laughs> and I was like, are you going to catch up? And she's like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> she's like, I am walking at my own pace. Thank you very much. I only run if I'm being chased. <laughs> That's right. And if you see me running, you should probably run too. Exactly. Shit, when else is running? I mean, run. I've accidentally run on purpose before. Oh, yeah. I, I was it tricked. It was for a purpose, yeah? Yeah, it was for a purpose. It was for a purpose. It's fine. <laughs> but yeah, besides that, what else? Had a little get-together for my late friend Adrian. Yeah, how was see- that? It was good. Got to see the ofrendas for Day of the Dead, because my parents didn't do that. Yep. Growing up, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is beautiful. And she's like, oh, this is a time where we take the, like any beverages or food or something and you can like have some of it and you know little cheers them cheers. basically yeah. yeah that's cool yeah that was nice my mom has an ofrenda so oh. she like the day after halloween she takes all the decorations down and just puts everybody's photos up oh. so it's like the table right when you walk in the front door so I'm like, that's a really good idea, except when you walk into my house, it's a shoe room, and it's a effing disaster every time. <laughs> Doesn't matter how many times I've organized it, it's a fucking disaster. It's like my coffee table. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if there's a ledge in this house, it'll get filled Actually, with something. It's, it's like my dining room. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's clear. Oh, wait, I'm going to order this ottoman and this TV. Oh. And, 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 oh, and Mitch just puked on the in rug <laughs> like, that's going to bye damn it oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah are the boys jealous that nibbles is getting attention probably <laughs> i mean mitch is always jealous no matter what so well yeah that's true he's like you're putting her oh. like dude i just finished you have another you. <laughs> hand i don't know if you've noticed you have two hands. Yeah, one for me and one for whoever else. <laughs> no, both for me. Like, That's both Midge. for me, preferably. <laughs> yeah, that is Midge. That is Midge. Maybe. So, what's your story about? Uh, I don't know. I didn't go through it. Do you remember? Just kidding. I went through it once. <laughs> I did it really? I finished the other half while Kim was processing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all right, I gotta finish this so quick. All right, good. Well, you have time to read yours because you're gonna go second this time. I, mm. I'll go first this time. Okay. I'll take the hit. <laughs> take it. Take it. Okay. So for my story today, it's continuing down the list of ghosts from the Tower of London. Um, today I have Margaret Pole, who was the Countess of Salisbury. Margaret was just one of two women in 16th century England to be a peeress, a peeress, 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 in her own right without a husband in the House of Lords. So a peeress is a woman holding the rank of a peer in her own right as one of the few members of the House of, and I'm going to say this incorrectly, and I know it, Plan to Genet, I think that's how it is, to have survived the War of the Roses. She was ultimately executed in 1541 at the behest of King Henry VIII. But before all that, she was a lady with many talents. Ooh. Like you. I was going to say, not unlike myself. <laughs> or but us. My head is still attached. So. Good. 
And I see yours is as well. Kind of, so. yeah. I mean, there's not much <laughs> not much happening up there, but, you know. No. It's... <laughs> That's my brain. <laughs> what? Squirrel? Exactly. So, Margaret was born at Farley Castle in Somerset, the only surviving daughter of George Plantagenet. I think that's how you say it. I'm not sure. It looks like Plantagenet. That's what it looks Plantagenet. like. Plantagenet. Plantagenet. <laughs> <laughs> say it right. God, say it right. He was the Duke of Clarence. Her mother was Isabel Neville. Her maternal grandfather was killed fighting against her own uncle, Edward IV, at the Battle of Barnet. Her father, already a prominent duke, was elevated to Earl of Salisbury and Warwick. So he's got a dual title going on. Dude's fancy. So her mother died when she was only three years old, and her father had two of their servants killed when he suspected that they had poisoned her. He was like, bitch, you poisoned my wife? You did. Now now you're dead. It's like when I heard that I was like, oh shit. Oh <laughs> like God. that escalated very quickly. <laughs> like what happened here? But anyway. So her father had plotted against Edward the Fourth, and in February of fourteen seventy eight he was arrested and executed for treason. All of his lands and titles were forfeited. Edward the Fourth died in fourteen eighty three when Margaret was just ten years old. And in 1484, the late king's marriage was declared invalid, making his children illegitimate, so they cannot get the throne. So, as Margaret and her brother Edward were debarred from the throne because of what their father did, their uncle Richard, the Duke of Gloucester, was offered the crown and became King Richard III. He was married to Margaret's maternal aunt, Anne Neville. And there was a whole bunch of, like, Margaret was the daughter of this person who was the son of this person who was the, the son of this person. And I was just like... Twice removed. Yeah. I was like, that's a little much. Like, so what? I just... I brought it down to, like, inner family. So in 1485, like, probably not even a whole year later, Richard was defeated and killed at the Battle of Bosworth by Henry Tudor, who would then succeed Richard as King Henry VII. The new king married Margaret's cousin, Elizabeth of York, and Margaret and her brother were taken into their care. Seeing as young Edward was a potential York claimant to the throne, he was whisked off to the Tower of London. Poor Edward. He mm. was even publicly displayed at St. Paul's Cathedral in, eight, in 1487 in response to the presentation of the impostor Lambert Simnel as the Earl of Warwick to the Irish Lords, which I have no idea what that means for anybody so they were like hey look at this guy he's not the guy shortly thereafter henry the seventh gave margaret in marriage to his own cousin sir richard pole when perkin warbeck was caught impersonating edward's then presumed dead son margaret's brother was arrested and executed for his involvement in the plot Margaret's husband, Richard, held a variety of offices in King Henry II's government, the highest being Chamberlain for Arthur, Prince of Wales, who was Henry's oldest living son. Arthur married Catherine of Aragon, 
and Margaret became one of her ladies-in-waiting. But her entourage was dissolved when Arthur died in 1502 at age 15. He was only 15 and he was married. That'd be like Noah being married right now. That's like Whoa. the creepiest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. That's, yeah. <laughs> and running a country. So. Yeah, I don't know about that. Yikes. <laughs> I don't know. That frontal lobe is not developed enough for me to be confident you can run this country. I mean... At 15, that's all I'm saying. Never mind, let's not talk politics. Continue. <laughs> Margaret's husband died in 1505 and widowed her with five children. She had a small estate of land inherited from Richard, but there was no other income or any other prospects. Henry VII paid for Richard's funeral. To help ease her situation, Margaret sent her third son, Reginald, to the church. He was expected to have an eventful career as a papal legate and later as Archbishop of Canterbury. Later in his life, Reginald resented his mother for abandoning him, and after Richard's death, Margaret was left with such inadequate means to support herself and her remaining children that she was forced to live with the Brigitine nuns at Sion Abbey. She stayed there until she returned to favor when Henry VIII took the throne in 1509. So, like, all these dates, like, these kings are not lasting very long. I don't know what they're drinking <laughs> or eating, but it's not working. So then Henry VIII married Catherine of Aragon, his brother's wife, and Margaret was once again one of her ladies-in-waiting. An act of Parliament in 1512 restored Margaret the Earldom of Salisbury and some of her brother's land, Henry VII had controlled them while her brother was a minor and while he was imprisoned. He later just confiscated them after the trial. Like, nah, these are mine again. You don't need them. So her brother's Warwick and Spencer estates stayed in the hands of the crown. So she didn't get those back. But Margaret, now the Countess of Salisbury, managed her lands well. And by 1538, she was the fifth richest peer in England. Mm. She was a patron of the new learning, like many of the Renaissance noblewomen. Her first son, Henry, was made Baron Montague, and her second son, Arthur, had a generally successful career as a courtier, becoming one of the six gentlemen of the Privy Chamber. So he got to hang out with the king, like, what's up, bro? <laughs> Part of the entourage. Arthur suffered a setback when his patron, Edward Stafford, was convicted of treason in 1521, but Arthur was soon restored back into favor. He died young around 1526. Margaret and her son Henry pressed Arthur's widow to take a vow of perpetual chastity, no thank you, so as to preserve her inheritance for her pole children. Margaret's daughter married Henry Stafford in 1519, but after the Duke's fall, the couple was only given pieces of the estate. So. Just pieces. Just pieces. You get this section and this inch over here. But not that one. But not that one. Margaret's third son, Reginald, studied at Padua. He was Dean of Exeter and Wimborne Minster, Dorset, and a Canon of York. He was never actually an ordained priest, but in 1529 he represented Henry VIII in Paris, trying to help persuade the theologians to support Henry's divorce from Catherine, her youngest son, Geoffrey Pole, which I always want to say Geoffrey because it's with a G. Uh, yeah. That's and, like um, one of my clients. Like, Geoff. 
<laughs> and on obituary, they call their followers Geoffs because oh. Madison like messed up the name and was like, "Is that Geoffrey?" <laughs> <laughs> It is now. (laughs) Sorry. Every time I see it, I have to say it because I just just need to say it. The Geoffrey Pole married well to Constance, daughter of Edmund Peckham, Peckenham, and and inherited the estate of Lordington in Sussex. Margaret's favorite court varied throughout the years. She had a dispute with Henry VIII in 1518. He gave the contested lands to the Dukedom of Somerset. So when they were fighting over the lands and everything, he was like, nope, these aren't yours. They're going to go over here. So she was a little little pissy with him, understood. In 1520, Margaret became governess to Henry's daughter, Mary. The next year, when her sons were mixed up with Buckingham, who plotted against the king, she was removed as governess, but later was restored to her position. There's a lot of back and forth here. A lot of indecisiveness, I feel. Seems like it. Maybe it's just me, but... Maybe I'm not paying attention. (laughs) Her sons got mixed up in the Exeter Conspiracy and Geoffrey. (laughs) Geoffrey was arrested in 1538. Geoffrey was writing to his brother Reginald and the investigation of Henry Courtenay had turned up his name. Jeffrey appealed to Thomas Cromwell, who arrested him and interrogated him as well. He was like, hey, bro, help me out. And he's like, hmm, arrest that man. <laughs> oh, well. And while under interrogation, Geoffrey, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> said that his older brother, Lord Montague, and the Marquise had been parties to his correspondence with Reginald Montague, Exeter, and Margaret were arrested in... November of 1538. And in January 1539, Geoffrey was pardoned, but Montague and Exeter were executed for treason after their trial. In May 1539, Henry, Margaret, and others were attained, as Margaret's father had been. The conviction meant they lost all of their lands and titles. So again, she lost everything. As part of the evidence, Cromwell produced a tunic bearing the five wounds of Christ, which symbolized Margaret's support for the Church of Rome and the rule of her son Reginald and Henry's daughter Mary. Six months after her house and estates had been searched and she was arrested, the supposed discovery is likely to have been false evidence. Nevertheless, she was sentenced to death and executed at the king's will, which means Whenever he feels like it. Damn. So he might forget about you and, like, move on to the next. And, like, you'll just be sitting in the Tower of London rotting away. Yeah. Like, uh, Just slowly dying. Are, are we going to do this? Like, oh, or, yeah. That's right. Or what? So, Margaret Pole was held in the Tower of London for two and a half years. She, her grandson Henry, and Exeter's son were held together and supported by the king. She was attended by servants and received an extensive grant of clothing in March 1541. So it's not like she's really living that bad of a life. Just can't go anywhere. I don't go anywhere. (laughs) Exactly. Like, I would be so not sad. Like, nice. (laughs) Oh, shoot. Sorry, I can't go. (laughs) I can't go. I'm, like, in the Tower of London. Yeah, so... So, and in 1540, Cromwell fell out of favor, and he was executed. 
The following is a poem that had been carved into Margaret's cell wall. It says, For traitors on the block should die. I am no traitor, no, not I. My faithfulness stands fast and so. Towards the block I shall not go. Nor one step, as you shall see, Christ in thy mercy, save thou me. She's like, fuck you. Yeah, traitors should die, but I'm not one of them. I like it. On the morning of May 27th, 1541, Margaret was told she was to die within the hour. Surprise! She answered that she had not been charged with a crime. She was taken from her cell to the precincts of the Tower of London, where a low wooden block had been prepared instead of the customary scaffold. There are two eyewitness accounts that survived her execution. One by Marillac, the French ambassador, and the other was Eustace Chapuis, who was the ambassador to the Holy Roman Emperor. The two reports differ slightly. Marillac recorded that the execution took place on the cor- in the corner of the tower with few people present, and her execution was doubted. Chapuis wrote that 150 witnesses were at the execution, including the Lord Mayor of London. Chapuis wrote, quote, At first, when the sentence of death was made known to her, she found the thing very strange, not knowing of what crime she was accused or how she had been sentenced, end quote. The main executioner had been sent north to deal with rebels, so the execution was performed by a, quote, wretched and blundering youth who hacked her head and shoulders to pieces in the most painful manner, end quote. Yet a third account in Burke's Peerage described the appalling circumstances of the execution. It stated that Margaret refused to lay her head down on the block, declaring, quote, so should traitors do, and I am none, end quote. According to this account, she turned her head every which way, telling the executioner that if he wanted her head, he should take it as he could. This was later embellished to have Margaret running around the scaffold pursued by her executioner who hacked at her until she was dead. Margaret was buried in the Chapel of St. Peter at Vincula in the Tower of London. Her remains were later uncovered when the chapel was undergoing renovations in 1876. The ghost of Margaret Pole is said to still haunt the Tower of London to this day. Her ghost has reportedly been seen around the site of her execution. Her ghost is one of the few seen in the same area, the others being Anne Boleyn and Lady Jane Grey. But it was not the last this world would ever see of the Countess of Salisbury. It is said that one night on the anniversary of her horrific death, her ghost is seen frantically running toward Tower Green. With blood streaming from her many wounds, she reenacts the frightful events of that day while being forever pursued by her phantom executioner. And that is Dang. Margaret Pole, one of the 13 ghosts of the Tower of London. Did say hack that until she was dead? Yeah. Whoa. He was not prepared for the assignment. Crazy. Yeah. That would suck. Ouch. Okay. So today's story is a feel-good-in-the-end kind of story. Okay. But it's also still sort of a mystery to this day. Hmm. I'm ready. Good. So, in June 2022, 
The lives of families in both Oklahoma and Florida were turned upside down when Texas authorities announced that they had identified the daughter of two murder victims from four decades earlier. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. The stuff we have these days. I know. The technology. The dinner. (laughs) As NPR reports, back in the early 1980s, there was a couple murdered near Houston. And it wasn't until 2021 that they were identified via DNA evidence. And a few months later, using that same genetic genealogy, as ABC News describes it, authorities were able to determine that the couple had a daughter and that she was still alive and was living in Oklahoma. Dang. That's good. Baby Holly, as she was known, was now a 42-year-old woman with five of her own children. She had been told that her biological parents were the Texas murder victims. And I know what you're thinking. What, what was the, I thinking? What about the parents who raised her? Exactly. <laughs> are they the ones who kidnapped her all those years ago? Are they? Well, as far as authorities are concerned, her adoptive parents are not considered subjects in the decades-old homicide. Okay, all right, fine. But, I mean, I would have I wondered the it. same thing. I thought it. Like, how did uh, you acquire this baby? <laughs> Where, where'd you get your baby from? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, officials tracked down Holly at her place of work following a breakthrough in the cold case made by specialist, or, yeah, specialist investigators from Identifiers International. Hmm. They broke the news to her, and within hours, she found herself on a Zoom call with her biological grandmother and aunts. Wow. uncles who were overjoyed at her rediscovery. Hmm. That's crazy. That is. Was that 40 years? Yeah. 42 years. It was last year. Yeah. Like all that time, like hoping. <coughs> oh, like if sorry. they find her, maybe blah, 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 whatever happened. 40 something years yeah. later. Like at what? that point, I feel like you've resigned yourself to the fact that you're never going yeah. to know. Like, not off. And then they're like, hey, so by the way. Is this a prank? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm sure you'd be feeling that way. For sure. Just ignore that sound in the background. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what's happening. A little bit of technical difficulties. And I am not good with technical difficulties. Nah, we're good. But anyway, Attorney General Ken Paxton said in a statement I am extremely proud of the exceptional work. Done by my office's newly formed cold case and missing persons unit. My office diligently worked across the state lines to uncover the mystery surrounding Holly's disappearance. We were successful in our efforts to locate her and reunite her with her biological family. Okay. John Bishop, the vice president of the Missing Children Division at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, commented... We are thrilled that Holly will now have the chance to connect with her biological family who has been searching for her for so long. We hope this is a source of encouragement for other families who have missing loved ones and remind us all to never give up. Yeah. For real, 40-something years now? Yeah. What, 42 years? <sighs> That's too long to wait for Doja. Anyway. Yeah. Sorry. It's a cat. <laughs> Officials have not released the details about how precisely they found Holly, how she survived the murder of her parents, or how she subsequently came to be adopted. 
I really want to know all this. I know. <laughs> I would really like to know. Maybe we'll be able to cover it sometime. Like an update? Yes. And though the authorities have been able to connect some of the dots in this extremely unusual case, several questions remain. Yeah. Uh, one of which <laughs> is, who killed baby Holly's parents? <laughs> Another is the circumstances of the murder and what a mysterious cult might have to do with all of it. What? Whoa. Cults? Cults. Tell me. Right? Tell me more. <laughs> I'm not stupid enough to fall for, like, being in a cult. I am nosy enough, though. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I need to know what's happening inside your cult. I just, I just want to know. Please tell me. But I don't want to join. I don't want to join. Just tell me what you do. Thanks. Like We'll just join really quick until we know, and then we'll can, leave. Can we do, like, a free trial <laughs> thing here? Trials? Like, you if do we all... don't if we don't like it, we can leave with our memories intact? Yeah, is that a thing? Thanks. <laughs> so the female was determined to have been white with possible Native American ancestry between 15 to 25 years old. The male, according to International Center for unidentified and missing persons was determined to have been white and between the ages of 16 to 30 years old. Hmm. Four decades later, the couple would be identified as Harold Dean Klaus and his wife, Tina Lynn. Hmm. However, it remains unclear who murdered them, although bits and pieces of the story involve the comings and goings of a mysterious cult. Hmm. Whoa. More. Tell me more. <laughs> More. I thought you said Noah. I was like, oh, is he behind me? No. Donna. All right. I don't know how this is exactly pronounced, but it's either Casa Santa or Casa Santa. Anyway, Donna Casa Santa and her son Harold wrote letters to each other after he moved from Florida to Texas. But in October 1980, those letters just stopped. But sometime later, Donna received a phone call, and the voice on the other end said they had Harold's car and wanted to get it back to his family. Okay. Like, what? <laughs> Donna arranged a meeting in Daytona Beach location, and there she met a woman and other people who were in clad in white robes. Okay. <laughs> like, uh, what? <laughs> like, okay, wait. Uh, Is it like KKK white robes or like... I am unsure. A white robe from a hotel. It's nice and fluffy. Because my brain went to nice and fluffy. I would hope it'd be robe. nice and fluffy, but I don't know I doubt it. That. I doubt it. <laughs> I'm not too sure it's I'm, a, I'm just a little bit slow today. Sorry. I understand. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. These robes. And they claim that Harold had joined a cult. And he wanted nothing to do with his family anymore. Rude. Right. At least one of the white road people were taken into custody, according to NPR. Although, what became of that is lost to history. Hmm. The white road people would enter the narrative again, but this time as it relates to Holly. White robed women dropped the baby off at a church in Arizona. Okay. A Texas official said of the group, they indicated the beliefs of their religion and Included the separation of male and female members, okay. practicing vegetarian habits, nothing wrong with that, nope. and not using or wearing leather goods, also nothing wrong with that. Also, according to ABC News, 
the women had claimed to have dropped off a different baby at a laundromat. Huh. Why so they, they just drop like, both of them off at the same... I don't know. Are they just traveling the country and rescuing babies of murdered well, people? Well, this is like, so was this cult in the business of killing parents and dropping off their oh, children? Okay. <laughs> their infant <laughs> children as foundlings? <laughs> or were hmm. Harold and Tina murdered by someone else and the cultists wanted to do the right thing and get the surviving baby to safety? Why wouldn't you take the baby to the police, though? And both of them. Like, we'll just leave this one at the laundromat. <laughs> it's it's going to be fine. We're just going to leave the baby here. Somebody will pick it up. They've got to. And they'll take it home and be like, there's nothing weird about this. We can't leave both of them at the same spot, though. No, that would be too obvious. Right? <laughs> yeah, so these, among other questions, remain unanswered. <laughs> okay. Uh, answer my question. I just need to know. <laughs> what is known is that Carpenter Harold, 21, and his wife Tina, 17, had recently moved to the Dallas suburb of Louisville from New Smyrna. Smyrna? Smyrna. Smyrna. Florida. Smyrna slugs. <laughs> when they disappeared. While their killer or killers have not yet been found... The success of the hunt for baby Holly at least brings an unexpected element of closure to a family that had long since been, or long since abandoned all hope in finding answers. I mean, it was a long oh, time, so. Yeah. Can't blame them. Right. Long-term missing persons cases rarely offer neat conclusions, which is unsurprising given that data collected by the National Missing and Unidentified Persons Database reveals that an estimated 600,000 individuals go missing in the United States every year. That's a lot. Well, okay, so I know that fact, and I was telling somebody at work about it, and she looked up, like, how many murders were in the United States over the last year or whatever, and it was, like, 24,000 or 23,000 compared to people going missing, which is 600,000. Whoa. Yeah. That's crazy. I was like, dang. Sorry, I mean, it kind of just blew my mind a little bit. That's that's 600,000 yeah. people. Yeah. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Every year. And where are they going? That Nobody can find I, them. I don't know if we want to know. Some of them, I'm sure we don't. Other ones, like, if they, like, purposefully, like, left their lives and started a new one, how did they do that? What made it possible? If you are one of them, let me know. I mean, email us at <laughs> champagnemurderplease at gmail.com. Tell me all about it. Yes. All right. So I can remain ahead. anonymous. I won't tell anybody. Nobody. Solve world hunger? Tell no one. <laughs> <laughs> However, uh -oh. advances in genetics, genealogy, and forensic technology mean that disappearances long since written off as unsolvable can theoretically at least be re-examined and new tools brought in to turn over fresh clues. Heck yeah. Right? Holly's grandmother, grandmother Donna, I cannot talk right now. That's okay. Said that, or said in a statement that finding her granddaughter was a birthday present from heaven. Aww. Since she was found on her father's birthday. Oh. She said, I prayed for more than 40 years for answers and the Lord re revealed some of it. Cheryl Klaus, who is Holly's aunt, said or said it was so exciting to meet her for the first time and that it is such a blessing to be reassured that she is all right and has had a good life. 
That's always good. Aw. Yeah, it is. Sherry Lynn Green, another one of Holly's aunts, said she dreamed about her sister, Tina, after reuniting with her niece. In my dream, Tina was laying on the floor, uh, rolling around and laughing and playing with Holly like I saw them do many times before when they were when they lived with me prior to moving to Texas. Mm. I believe Tina's family, Tina's finally resting in peace, knowing Holly's reunited with her family. Aww. Those dreams are oh so my gosh. weird. Yeah. <sighs> they can tell you things. Yeah, they can. Les Lynn, Holly's uncle, said he met Holly about eight months after learning she was alive, saying... To go from hoping to f- to find her to suddenly to suddenly meeting her less than eight months later, how miraculous is that? Very, very. All of the detectives involved they all expressed such fortitude to get to the bottom of the case. Authorities did not reveal the new identity of Baby Holly, but stated that she has been notified of the identities of her biological parents and has been in contact with her extended biological family. They hope to meet in person soon, as statement read. Paxton commended his office's newly formed cold case and missing persons unit on the work done to bring answers to the Lynn and Klaus families, saying, My office diligently worked across state lines to uncover the mystery surrounding Holly's disappearance. We were successful in our efforts to locate her and reunite her with her biological family. The investigation into the murders of Tina and Harold is still an ongoing endeavor, Paxton said. Hmm. Yeah, I'd like to know what the heck happened. Me too. I mean, happy she ended up... Being found. And, yeah, living a decent life. Yes. Who are these robed people? (laughs) Who are these robed people? I would like to know. Or her adoptive parents. Like, were they just handed the baby and were like, yep. No paperwork necessary. We're good. Right. No, tell me more. <laughs> yeah. I need to know. Tell me more. Please, sir. Tell me more. Please. <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Champagne and Murder, Please. We really do appreciate all now three of you. <laughs> I'm just guessing. I have no idea. <laughs> However many there are. It's maybe. probably still one. It's fine. <laughs> part of the time. <laughs> part, part of the time. Um, I hope you guys have a great weekend. I hope you have a great next week. You too, Vanessa. Thank you. You I, too. I hope lots of good things come your way. Same to you. Thank you. And I want to remind everybody, if you have a story or anything you'd like to send us you can send it to us through our gmail at champagne and murder please at gmail.com you can follow us on our socials we're on facebook instagram and tiktok we have way too much fun on tiktok a little too much <laughs> a little too much going live on my account <laughs> yep that was pretty funny Maybe we'll do that again sometime yeah just not this time we weren't prepared no so anyway um oh yeah remember stay safe and And don't don't take take candy candy from strangers strangers. unless it's halloween unless it's halloween then you're fine (laughs) okay bye bye